Okay, thank, first of all, thank you so much, uh, Samantha, for joining us at Anti-Semitic Horizon for what I hope will be a good interview. I've, I've read your book and I've... Have you? Yes, I Yay! have. <laughs> and, and I loved it. I and there's so much stuff that I want to talk to you about and, and ask you, so I try to tone it down a bit. Oh, um, but I it's uh, it's funny because this month I've read sorry the last two months I've read two other books by uh, disabled people. Uh, yeah, Sophie Morgan's uh, Driving Forward, which I also yeah. loved, uh, and uh, Shahada Shabari, who's uh, an Arab with MS. And she has written a sort of a semi-memoir of okay. reflection with living with MS. And I have to admit, I found yours the... I don't think you kept anything in. You were very, <laughs> very honest. Uh, uh, I think with the two others that I read, especially with Shadow, there is restriction. Yeah, I get that. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I probably didn't hold back on talking about my disability, but I definitely held back about my partying days because I probably, if I would have, if I would have like gone too much into my partying days, I probably would have been arrested. <laughs> so there was, there was like definitely a little bit of like, hmm, my mum might read this, so I'm gonna kind of be a little bit, a little bit, you know, kind of aloof on certain areas. But I suppose. Um, that always gives me, like, you know, the poetic license, so to speak. Like, you know, when I, I always say, when I become, like, a millionaire, I'm going to do a, a proper tell-all expose. Because then I won't, probably won't care. <laughs> I know, such a, it was, it was a couple of minutes that you did say the book, this was, uh, I will say, I will talk about this another time. I was like, yeah. I want to know what happened. I know, you know what, isn't it funny? Because my editor, Laura, who was wonderful, she was, uh, it was like, it was a little bit like having like, I don't know, like, I called her my auntie, like, she was like my, my, my voice of reason. But then sometimes I'd write something, she's like, Samantha, are you sure you want to put this? And I'm like, hell yes. I think when I talked about wanting, you know, like when I was a teenager, all I wanted when I was at a party was a boy to finger me. And she was like, are you sure you want to put that in? And I was like, yeah, because that's all I wanted as a teenager was a boy to finger me, you know? And um, I think that's a perfectly normal thing to say. Um, but she, yeah, she, um, she kind of, yeah, she was that voice of, voice of reason. And sometimes, sometimes she made me sit back and go, okay, okay, I, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a think about this. I'm not gonna be, you know, you know, when they say don't write anything in anger. Um, I was, she was a little bit like that. She was like, okay, take, take a day and go back to it. But, um, but no, she even, she was the one that said to me about the party and we said like, you know, I won't go into too much detail. She's like, oh, you have to, you can't leave them hanging. I was like, no, 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 I will absolutely get arrested. My career would probably end. So I'm going to, I am going to reserve that just this once. I think what struck me more is, uh, so you were very, very open about uh, three things, which I think a lot of people, disabled or non-disabled, would not talk about. Uh, one of them is uh, sort of your mental health struggles. Yeah. The anxiety, the depression, etc. And the other thing is sort of, you know, then there was a whole section on the dating, the the the, the guys that you went out with, etc. Uh, and I think that the third thing is your sort of uh, family dynamic and your dad, your dad, your mom, your sister. And do you feel that, you know, you've let it all out, you've bared your soul completely? Do you, do you yeah. The, the chapter, um, Am I Enough? I talk about relationships and my issues with men and my, you know, deep-rooted issues with men, I suppose. And I talk about 
you know, disability related issues about, you know, body image and how, how, you know, I don't feel like a sexual being because I've not, you know, I can often be fetishized or, you know, like taken advantage of by men. But also, you know, my deep rooted issues with the opposite sex going back to, you know, losing a parent, not having necessarily strong male uh, role models and so forth. But I was adamant I wanted to write about it. But I was, as I was writing, I saw a couple of posts from other disabled content creators and they were sharing their journey about dating and so forth. And um, there seemed to be a little bit of this, like, resistance, like, you know, like, well, I don't have any issues dating, and and I'm and I and in my mind I was like, I don't want anyone to read this and think that all disabled people have relationship issues. Like that's definitely not the case. But equally, I'm not going to shy away from the truth. I'm not going to shy away from my own experience. I'm not going to say that you know I haven't had a really shitty time, even at you know primary school and high school when everyone was having boyfriends, and I was literally you know, not even looked at by guys or if I was looked at, you know, they they did it in secrecy and they, you know, kind of would hold my hand under the table, you know, at the school table, but then, you know, we weren't allowed to tell anyone we were dating. Like I'm not gonna I should feel ashamed of these things. These things have happened to me. And I guess I never really spoke about them growing up or as a teenager or or as a young adult because I felt shame. I felt like, you know, I fit into that stereotype. I fit into that narrative of being unlovable because you're disabled and as we know you know that isn't necessarily true for everyone however we can't hide from the fact that people are prejudiced people are you know particularly i think i think sometimes and i know i appreciate you know sexuality and gender you know it's not as black and white as male and female now and i I appreciate that but for me from a sense of you know i think it's harder for a a, 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 a female with a disability because unfortunately a lot of guys have got this this one drive and this one drive is their penis and this one drive is sex and when they look at a disabled physically disabled woman shall I say they automatically assume that they wouldn't be able to have sex and I think that was the main disadvantage for me um in my relationships because I would be dismissed straight away um because I was not seen as a sexual being and you know I know that I've got a lot of male disabled friends who um you know have non-disabled female um partners and again not to generalize not to stereotype but I think you know a lot of put it this way a lot of my male friends seem to find it easier to date because I genuinely think that on the whole again general you know I don't want a general sweep of you know say that this is true everywhere but I genuinely think that women are less superficial and we don't really put so much emphasis on the sex part or the you know the then you know that they they don't they're not they're not as dismissive um and they're much more patient and um are much more capable of compromising in uh in that relationship and I know people might listen to this so oh my god you can't say that and I'm like but I, I have said it because that has been my experience and that has been my observation and that has been my observation not just for myself but for you know as a campaigner who engages with a lot of disabled people like I think that disabled women do get a harder time when it comes to relationships um unfortunately 
All right, definitely agree, especially if you are disabled women from an ethnic minority. Absolutely. Even worse. The different, yeah, absolutely. I mean, with the, what I'm talking about is the tip of the iceberg. And I think this is why it was important for me to not shy away from it because, perhaps, you know, I am, I am blonde, blue-eyed, you know, confident, um, a good, you know, like good, at, good at fashion. I'm quite a sexual being in the sense of, you know, I don't shy away from my sexuality. And I suppose, you know, if I'm facing this prejudice and if I'm facing, you know, days where I literally feel unlovable and moments where I still, even though I look like I've got my shit together, excuse my language, you know, that um, that I still really, really battle. I still get overlooked. I still feel inferior um, to men. You know, if I'm experiencing that, then there's a whole host of other disabled women, like you said, from, from uh, ethnic background. You know, people who have got different religious approaches, people, disabled people from different countries who, you know, aren't as progressive and so forth. You know, like they are, they, they'll be feeling exactly what I'm feeling, but like a thousand times more. So I think this is why it was important. And it was important for me to kind of swallow my pride because it's not a subject I, it's really weird. I, I'm, I'm actually writing my Metro column at the moment, looking at, this is a bit of a bold statement. They, they've not edited it yet, so they might change it, but, like I, I'm questioning whether social media, um, specifically things like TikTok, um, whether it's like the new freak shows for disability, because I keep seeing a lot of content creators and some of the stuff that they're doing, it's a bit sensationalist in the sense of have they been like pushed into that? Uh, so like so like videos like this is how I go to the toilet as a disabled person. Yeah. You know, I'm a bit I'm a bit like okay, like why 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 do disabled people feel like they have to create content like that is it because non-disabled people have this weird curiosity about you know stuff like that but it, you know it it, it was it lost my train of thought because i was talking about tiktok but you know it's it to me when i started um when i started out 10 years ago like i suppose in the career that i am now as a public figure or whatever you want to call it you know i constantly kept getting asked the one the one the one thing that journalists would ask me was about sex and disability. Like, literally, if you were to Google me from 10 years ago, you'd see a lot of articles of me talking about relationships and sex. And if I'm completely honest, if you were to read those articles, um, I'm not 100% truthful in them. Like, my book is true. I would say my book now is me, truthful. Like, completely heart on my sleeve. But a lot of the, a lot of the interviews that I did back then about sex and relationships, I I lied and I said a lot of the time, oh no, I don't really have much problems, you know, and and that didn't feel right, you know. I lied because I felt ashamed of people rejecting me when actually I have nothing to feel ashamed of because I'm a bloody amazing human and I deserve to be loved like everybody else, you know. But it's really funny that going back to your original question, yes, I absolutely feel like the book was cathartic. I feel like I I was true to myself for the first time and I was true on paper for the first time because, you know, I still sometimes can feel the mercy of, you know, the, that internalised ableism and that will make me sometimes, I wouldn't say bend the truth, but absolutely not be 100% honest. I think we all do it. Like, you know, when someone asks you, how are you? Like, you say, oh, yeah. fine, great, yeah. And, you know, it would be an ugly. Uh, but we just feel like, you know, you, you don't, you, 
first of all, you don't need, you don't want to explain to people. No. You just don't have the energy. Second of all, people can start putting advice. Guys, like, dude, I've lived with this all my life. I've really explored everything. Mm. No need for that. So, yeah, I definitely get it. But I think what I was sort of uh, more intrigued by is that, you yeah. know, like I've said, you've fed yourself to, for example, PAs yeah. who are coming to work with you. They'll know a lot about you. Does, does that yeah. bother you or not? You know, I've, I've always spoken about my PAs and the, the difficulty I've had, not only accepting the fact that I need support as I've gotten older, but having being vulnerable with somebody in your own home, you know, can be really, really, can be really, really difficult. And I think, as you know, social care isn't free, and I, you know, have to pay quite a lot towards my social care. Um, but also, you know, I you can sometimes feel trapped because it feels sometimes like you tiptoe around people because you know that if they leave, you know, if they quit or they leave, then you're screwed. Basically, we're not screwed, Actually, but like- you know. Yeah. I had the same issue this week and I just had to like really bite my tongue and take a prayer yeah. and think about it. If they leave, you're the one who's going to be stuck. They can find yeah. a job in a, a day or even an hour. Yeah. Like, you're not going to be so, yeah, no, I guess you can. I, I used to have that even like when I, when I were in the, in the apartment that I used to live in, which I talk about quite a lot in the book. Um, I, 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 I had a joint tenancy agreement. Um, and because it was a semi-accessible flat and they were letting, you know, they're like gold dust. Um, people, like I had quite a few flatmates come in and go in. I'm not taking it personally that a lot of them left, but you know, like London is very transitional. Like people come, people go. It's not some, like the fact that I've been here for 10 years is quite, you know, and not like settle down with like have a family or move a little bit further out to the suburbs. It's quite unusual, you know. Um, but I used to again the same situation. I used to constantly tiptoe around the people that I lived with because I was so scared that not only it when they moved out, if they moved out, like I would have to pay my tenancy would get scrapped, so I'd have to reapply for my tenancy, which meant that I'd have to pay thousands of pounds, you know, to reinstate it, um, or else I'd effectively be homeless. But also, you know, you were so scared of losing your independence because if you've you know got someone new in you're gonna have to start all over again by educating them on living with someone who you know has a different way of living uh, I mean, that's what i was going to go back on because i actually love that bit where you were talking about uh, sharing a flat with other disabled people yeah. because you've really busted a myth that all disabled people are lost and I've experienced this like I kind of some disabled people can be really horrible so I won't go back to it but I just wanted to ask you something since uh, your book has been published has anyone from your past or people that you haven't sort of heard from for, for yonks have, have they sort of got in touch and said oh you brushed us in your book oh you you know you've, uh, you've written about it have, has that happened? Um, so obviously everything needs to go through lawyers. So anyone I write about, if I name them, they have to give consent, you know. I got in contact with Nathan, who was quite pivotal. Um, he was my best friend at one point, you know. We kind of, we kind of, we never really fell out, but we just kind of lost touch over the years. But I had to contact him and he actually came to my book launch, which was lovely. So I feel like in some respects I rekindled, um, relationships with people, which has been really nice. Because it's been quite nice to look back and go, wow, yeah, you were really, um, integral to my, to my journey and my success. So that's been nice. Um, a few people have shocked me. I'm not, again, I'm not going to tell you who, 
has shocked me and has been quite um upset with me about if you think and what the irony is like I was very mindful when I wrote about other people that I didn't air their dirty washing you know like I didn't do an I did a I did a tell-all on my own story but I didn't do a tell-all on their story so I would I feel like I was quite um polite and um, in some respects and I held back and um, and still people are a bit pissed off with me and that's been a bit disappointing but then equally you know I think I think sometimes again you can get to a point in your life where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't so you might as well just do yeah yeah, <laughs> so but, yeah it has been it's some bits have been quite upsetting people have shocked me people have shocked me and again you just don't know where that comes from whether it is Maybe because they're a bit overwhelmed with your success or jealous of your success or God knows. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't want to get into people's heads. But yeah, a few people have been um, a little bit harsh. And again, if you read the book, it's like I, like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit ignorant. If you read the book, I don't think I'd like really call anyone out or being a bit. No, no, really, apart from that stupid girl who went on a date with her and then, you know, because she was in the restaurant, you had to get a cab back. Oh my god, I don't realize how costly yeah. it is. So, yeah, uh, did you get a consent? You know, when you were writing about sharing with the other two disabled people, did you get a consent from them as well? No, because they um they weren't named, so they're anonymous, so that was fine. But actually, one of the people again, we 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 we, we got back in touch to my um book launch, so that was nice. And he he actually um, bless him, he actually apologized for his behavior during the flat, which was uh. Which was kind of again one of those moments where you're like, wow, this is like this is writing a book, but it's also like a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes people don't realize until they actually see it written that yeah, oh wow, I've I did this, I you know, uh, and uh, and just sort of uh, I think one thing that I sort of would have loved for you to talk about is that whole pandemic period, COVID. But I'm guessing you were. Yes, when you started writing the book? Yeah, so it was an interesting one because obviously um, the whole process took two years. So in the sense of not, I'm not talking about writing the book, just like having conversations, you know, um, working out with the team what the book would look like and et cetera. So the whole, the whole conversation took two years. And I think that was um, that was extended because of COVID. So things took a little bit longer, you know, because obviously meetings weren't happening as quickly and so forth. But I actually wrote the book in three months, and that was because I went back home. That was when the other is it Omicron? Omicron that kind of spiked. Oh, again. okay, yeah. Yeah. So I went. So basically, I um. Because that was last nice year. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, so basically, my deadline was just January. So I wrote November. Well, end of October to January. I handed it in on the seventh of January. But I, I actually was up, I went back home in November to my mum in Lancashire. But I'd been for the past two years, I've been back and forth um, during lockdown, you know, and then I came back to London and then I went back to Lancashire because my mum's a nurse and um, I, because I was like, you know, potentially really high risk of COVID, I, I wasn't really scared of being, living on my own. That wasn't an issue. What I was more scared about was being on my own, having falling out my chair and having a fracture, and then not having the support. So that's the reason why I actually went back home, um, you know, during lockdown. Uh, but it was it was great because actually it allowed me to write the book. And um, you know what it's like when you go back home, you get your parents to to, 
do your cooking for you and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. So um, that was beneficial. But I, I, yeah, it was weird because I didn't. It was, when I did. I recorded the audio book and I obviously read the book. And I mentioned the pandemic a few times, and it just felt like my God, that was so far. That was so long ago. And part of me was like, oh, I'm glad that I didn't speak too much about the pandemic because, well, once you've written it and then the book comes out, it's like, oh, that was ages ago. And it just didn't, you know, I don't know why. It just, just felt odd talking about it. But in hindsight, you're right. I should have gone into more, you know, of, of my details. But I guess, you know, I didn't want it to be too triggering for people because I suppose that was the point in people's lives that they maybe might just want to forget. But then equally, as a campaigner, maybe I shouldn't have been more forthcoming and being like, no, we can't, we, we shouldn't forget about this. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I probably shouldn't have shied away from the pandemic. I think it's because I read, I read something. I read some, another book and they wrote about the pandemic. And I was like, oh, how embarrassing because in two years time or three years time, that's going to be so like, you know, that's going to be so not irrelevant, but like it wouldn't fit. Um, but then equally, it, it was a memoir, so I was writing about the past anyway. So anyway, that's my logic for you. Yeah. I mean, what made you write the book? Because I love an interview you said, oh God, that Pat said to you that you could write the book. But I'm guessing, like, there must be a, a deeper reason to why, because you know, a lot of people say to us, do this, but we don't necessarily do it. But it must have yeah. triggered something into a sort of a, a, a desire to do what yeah. I want to do. I, I think I always wanted to share my journey. I think even from a young age, I knew I was going to write a book. Um, but I guess I didn't know how to start and I guess I didn't know, you know, um, what that book would look like. And as I said earlier, I'm very open, but I'm open about my own feelings and views, but I'm not very open in the sense of, um, you know, I don't talk about going into too much detail about the family issues that I was having at the time because that's not my story to tell. Um, so in my own mind, I was like, well, how can I write about my life and not share all these things that happened to me as a childhood that were not, you know, not, you know, that happened to family members and so forth, but that were integral to my journey. But then equally, people wouldn't let me share these things. Like they wouldn't let me do it because it's their personal journey. That was my sticking point. So I was like, how can I be authentic and truthful? But at the same time, safeguard the people that I love. So I kind of always put it on the back burner. And I, and I guess when Fern Cotton gave me the opportunity, um, as any businesswoman, you say yes to an amazing opportunity like that, because, you know, books only been out two and a half weeks now. The past few weeks have been like the busiest, the most exciting, the most exhilarating two weeks of my life. And I've, I've cried and I've laughed and or everything in between. So I'm really appreciative of the collaboration and the fact that I've got a friend, you know, now in Fern Cotton also has been amazing. I think I think I felt like I ticked a lot of things on my to-do list and then the pandemic hit and everything went a bit stagnant and I was a bit bit lost and a bit panicked and, you know, not knowing how I'd be to pick up after the pandemic, not knowing whether the opportunities I had um, worked so hard would just disappear and dissipate. You know, um, so I think when the book came along, I was like, yes, this sounds, this has come at the right time because equally, you know, you, you, it is emotional writing a book. It is draining. It is like a lot psychologically. 
and like physically it's a lot you know like it, it you have to be um very disciplined and I guess I didn't know with as a freelancer and as someone who doesn't have a regular yeah. a regular work pattern I didn't know how writing a book would fit into my normal day to day because obviously you know you've got to think about finances you've got to think about all sorts of things you've got to basically shut yourself away for months and months and do that so in a weird way like the pandemic was a blessing but I know a lot of people wrote books during the pandemic because of the same reason so you know what was your first draft once you finished it who was the first person like did you feel confident to say hey could you read it and I'm not talking just a bit of professional capacity was a friend or family member and did you feel confident to hand them your draft say read it see what you think yeah so obviously like the my editor read it and then all the team and then my agent read it and they were all very positive my good friend Susie Kennedy she got the audiobook and she was amazing she was working in Berlin at the time um she's a performer and she, every time she like finished a chapter on audio she sent me lots of voice notes and that was really nice because she was very, very um, positive and loving about it. I don't think my mum's ever going to read the book. She just barely watches anything I do on television. My sister was a bit disappointed about something in the book, so that's, that, that was a little bit of a shocker. I think, you know, apparently my stepdad was a bit annoyed because he didn't get an acknowledgement in the book. So I <laughs> ironically, I feel like the people that I really wanted to be uh, super supportive has uh, been a little bit dismissive, but you know what? Again, I actually don't care anymore. I'm really proud of what I've done. I'm not going to change my life story just to make people feel better. But from your first draft, like when you first sat, oh, so no, so no, so I didn't, I, I didn't really do it that way around, unfortunately. Normally, what you do is you send your editor a little bit here and a little bit here. But I didn't do that. I literally wrote it all and then sent it to my editor. There was like no to and throw in. And then she obviously just corrected my grammar and spelling. Okay. So and you then... didn't take anything out of? No, 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 nothing. How do you think the book has changed you since like Because it's a journey from the beginning when you first started writing until you finished it. Yeah. And then once you published it, like, you must have sort of, I'm, I'm guessing you must be like, not a different person, but you probably were different to when you first embarked yeah. in the whole process to now when it's published and it's out. I really struggle to, to be proud of myself, but that's with everything that I do. So I'm learning to give myself a pat on the back. Like, people have said, oh, you must be really proud. And I'm a bit like, I don't really know what that means. And I'm not being modest. I just don't, I've always just pushed myself. And I think because I always knew that I wanted to write a book, I feel like it's just another a string to my bow. So I'm learning to be a bit kinder to myself. And I'm learning to kind of go, yeah, Sam, well done. You know, a lot of my accomplishments have been because I've been trying to prove the world to the world that, you know, I could do something, which has obviously been really beneficial to me. Uh, or for me because it has you know given me that fire in my belly to succeed but I don't think that is a very healthy way to live long term so I think what's been quite nice is I'm, I'm slowly trying to reconnect with who I am um, and what I want out of life rather than what um, I feel like I should be proving to the world but I think at the moment to be quite honest with you you need to come back to me probably in a month's time um, once all the press has subsided a little bit 
because I don't think I've even had time to think. It's been that busy. I've not had time to think about how I actually feel. Yeah, because I guess you're still in that bubble. Did you, when you started writing it, did you read other disabled or like disabled people's books? No, you... no, and I per- and I purposely didn't. I purposely didn't. I know that Sophie sent me a copy of her book. And I didn't read it. I tried not to read too many disability-related posts on social media. I didn't want it to be a disability story. I wanted it to be my story. Which, you know, there's, I think there's about eight or nine chapters. Which has been the most difficult to to write? The most, the one that you enjoyed the most writing and you felt like, look, this is... Uh... Yeah. I think talking, like, the final chapter, Um, I think talking about my dad's death was really hard. To write the chapter about my you know am i enough that was quite raw also i love the quotes that you put at the beginning of each chapter it's it so clever oh <laughs> thank you um, so i really like the chapter what to do when things go tits up about my spinal fusion oh, even though it's so, it so many years ago like it feels like yesterday and i can i could recall things like minute details and that was like quite incredible that I could like you know recall so much but I think also that chapter because it was like a turning the main turning point for me for me I I really enjoyed the about love I thought and it's it's quite good because because it was sort of towards the end so it's almost like you know uh on, if you go to a play on stage and there's a build-up and then you get to the last scene where, yeah. where the character completely exposes herself and I felt this yeah. one so cleverly done that as we sort of divulge more and more into it and we reach that final bit and this is where you actually you know you, you impressed me at uh, oh. I think there was one quote that I've, uh, I actually wrote all down because I'm going to use them in the future you know, yeah. where you say something like uh, yes uh, I've been all of these things but I've never simply been suffering number one. Sometimes just sometimes that makes me rather sad. I, I love that. And I thought that was so truthful. I think every human being goes through that. But very, very few, if any, actually come out and say it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah. That, I, think, I, think, but I think we all feel that. You know what I mean? Like, irrespective of disability. And again, this is not me being judgmental or kind of saying what's right or what's wrong. I sometimes look at people I know in relationships and I know they're not in happy relationships and I know that they are in relationships purely because of the fear that I described, the fear of not being somebody's number one or the fear of being alone. And oddly, like, even though I do crave that companionship I also kind of find comfort and strength in the fact that even though that would be, you know, perfect in my life, I also don't need it to survive. And I would rather be where I am right now than be in a relationship that isn't healthy or a relationship that is of convenience. You know, the whole message of the book is kind of trying to change your perspective on situations. And I think, you know, even though I was very, very honest and open in that chapter, I didn't want anyone away feeling sorry for me yes that's the that's the dilemma of uh being open is that you want Absolutely. people to understand but you don't want the you don't want the pity you don't want the advice exactly but I, but I think the thing is as well if you're on social media i don't know about you like sometimes i'll do a social media post i won't write anything i won't talk about i don't know ableism i won't talk about being bullied i won't talk about anything like that 
and I was still get like three comments going, "You be strong," <laughs> and I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "What?" I was just writing about my cats. <laughs> Have you actually read the book? So since you've you've finished yeah. it, did you go back and yes, read the book? So, yeah. So I I recorded the audio book. Yes, yes, of course, yes. So um, so yeah, I spent three days recording. And once of you when you did the audio book recording. Did you did yeah. you think at any point? Oh God, I was an idiot back then. Or oh God, was I really, did I redo really this? Or like, was there anything that you wished you could have changed the book or or taken out or anything? No, no. I think sometimes I felt like I was like, oh my God, I wish my writing was not as sloppy. Obviously, like I didn't get a I wrote it myself and I didn't have a ghostwriter, but I kind of thought that an editor. I thought that they would would like polish it and make it like prettier and fancier and fluffier you know like use more articulate words and that's kind of what I thought the editor would do and then like Laura my editor she was like no 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 I just want your voice to come across so I was a bit disheartened sometimes because I was like oh that's a bit of a sloppy sentence or you know I did you know I don't sound very articulate there then equally I'm like you know what if that makes my book more accessible then fine so I think everyone goes for it. Everyone goes and, through and the whole... Just, I think there's a, a strength in using your own language. Because yeah. I think had the editor changed it to sort of like more fancy. Uh, yeah, but I, I learned a lot about myself. So when I talk about my codependency with my mum and so forth and, and, and look back and think, oh, I wish I would have pushed myself. I wish I would have spoken up sooner. You know, I don't see that as a regret. I see that as that was just who I was then, and that's fine. Oh, you also that. talk about some of the books, which I think at least 60% of, of disabled people have this internalized ableism. Yeah. That you have got rid of it completely, or you, or you still think uh, that you still carry uh, some of it till now? Oh, every day. You can't live in the world as it is today without internalizing some, some ableism. I genuinely um, feel you know, like I should feel guilty for when I get rejected, you know, when I talk about relationships. So I think, I think, you know, it's deep rooted and it's systemic. And I think, you know, it can rear its head all the time. But, you know, as long as you're mindful of it, I think that's all you can do. I think there's, uh, there was also at the beginning when you said up to sort of your 20s, you try to uh, dissociate yourself or, or not engage so much with the disability field or disabled people mm. until you mm-hmm. met that uh, lady on the trade who kind of got you involved with the, is it the Brittle Bird Society? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that you, where you are at now, this is something you would never go back to? Sort of, uh, you know, kind of. And I think it's nothing to do with disability. I think, you know, in my own experience, it's, it's to do with identity. When we're younger, we don't want to do anything to do with what identifies us. We want to try different yeah. things. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if it's ableism or if it's just to do with growing up. Uh, it's probably, probably a combination of everything, isn't it, really? But I. I definitely felt like my family had, whether they were aware of it or not, they had an issue with disability. They might have felt uncomfortable around it. I know that my dad wasn't too keen on me. Um, like, you know, we never went to AGMs. Even though we knew what the Brutal Bone Society was, we never went to any of their functions. And I think their own uncomfortability, their own awkwardness around disability meant that I felt that. I internalized yes. that, so I, so I, 
you know, I even prided myself on not being like them. Yes. Quote, unquote. I'm not like them. Yeah, so I, I totally get you because I went through the same thing. And, and yeah. I went to special needs school. So that was even worse because okay. I, I was actually a special needs school and I still yeah. had this idea that, oh, no, no, I'm not like them. No, no, I'm different. Yeah. But I think it's difficult as well because you can you can go two ways. You can either go how we were or you can get parents who push up, push you. Like the cat I write about the council, the councillor kept suggesting, you know, why don't you befriend more disabled people? And I think I think that's really difficult as well, particularly when you're a teenager, because when you get told to do something, you don't want to do it. But also, you know, like just because someone's in a wheelchair doesn't mean we're going to be best friends. I remember going out with my yeah. brother we went to the theatre and we saw the same woman. I just like, go and talk to her. I'm like, why would I? Oh, no, no, go and talk to her. She's, she's in a wheelchair. Like, I'm like, okay, <laughs> and the front is bald. Why don't you go talk to him? He's bald like you. Go and be friends. Exactly. So, uh, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, interesting, isn't it? I mean, I keep repeating myself. I know the back. This is why I so loved your book. I just felt it's so, so real. with. So many stuff that you talked about, the uh, sort of, you know, what I just said about not wanting to associate yourself with disabled people, not wanting to work in the disability field, lots of, uh, and there was a bit where you said, because uh, I used to do the same thing when I was young, is uh, when you were little, you used to uh, shuffle your bottom, and yeah. that's exactly what I did, I was like, Really? Yes, and uh, yeah, I, I I was so independent with it. I I used to used to go up and down stairs with it. So um, oh really? Oh yeah, I wasn't so I wasn't very sophisticated. However, I think my parents like were too scared to let me go up and down the stairs. But also, I think so. I I grew up in Iraq until the age of nine. I came here. I I was the only disabled kid in my city. I never saw any other wow. child. And I went to mainstream school. But we don't, I never used a wheelchair. I okay. had a little buggy or I shuffled or I had a tricycle. So I was always on my tricycle. And it's really funny because in your book, you talk about how you did it like as a child. You just thought you were special. And this is exactly how I was. I just used to tell people I was special. And they would say to me, why can't you walk up? Because I'm too special. I can't do too. <laughs> I, I, I'm not allowed to. And, uh, uh, but as soon as I came to the UK, the first thing they did was put me in a wheelchair, which obviously killed a lot of my boss. And I think sometimes I think there's, there is this sort of thing about you are put in a category uh, and you're not allowed to. To, to flourish in your own way, you know, you, you, why could I have a tricycle here while a wheelchair, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, this is something that I really enjoyed in your book as well, especially when you also said that you played by yourself a lot of time, and this is exactly with me, not because, you know, I didn't have friends, I, I didn't have friends, but they were all still running around or jumping, or something. and I enjoyed, the, you know, like you, my own company. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel it sort of really pays you for adult life. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because I, one of the things that I talk, I talk about. I don't think I mess. I don't think I necessarily mentioned it in the book, but when I've been talking about, you know, what I've reflected on afterwards is, you know, the fact that what I'm struggling with now, being in my thirties, is, you know, you kind of see disabled children as like these cute disabled kids that you need to nurture and nurture more than most children and you fuss around them and you you know because you, you you might pity them or you might you know you know all the stuff that we <clears throat> we get but then as soon as you become an adult no one really cares and all of a sudden you become a bit of a drain or a bit of a 
burden or you know you get you know if someone does something for for you you get thrown in the face and we do everything for you you know what I mean I get that quite a lot you know everyone does everything for you it's like do they though (laughs) yes exactly it's another you know it's uh, it's like but it's like but but you create I I mean you created this monster you society created me society for many many years put me on a pedestal muddy coddled me told me I could get free things, told me that, you know, um, disability yeah. is X, Y, and Z, and, you know, wrapped me up in cotton wool, and, you know, like, really, really was like, oh, isn't she cute, and oh, isn't she inspirational? And now, it's like, when you when you behave a certain way, you're, you know, you're, you're not seen as this cute little disabled kid anymore, you're seen as being selfish, or greedy, or, you know, you're asking for additional things, special treatment. Exactly, I think that's another quote that I really liked in your book, is where you talk about how when you get scared, that's what we've had it all our lives, but the stare changes from the adulthood, sorry, from childhood to adulthood. Childhood is sort of more of a pity, oh, you know, kind of real chat, but when you're an adult, it's more intrusive and uh, yeah. it's kind of like oh my god yeah that kind of thing so uh yeah i i, I love that as well and i loved how you talked about the transition uh, from sort of childhood to uh adulthood in terms of provision and care that you know one of the simple things is sort of you know within a month or a week of your birthday mm-hmm. you kind of uh lose physiotherapy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, my last question to you is: What do you hope that people get from your book, whether they're disabled or non-disabled? Yeah, I think I use the word uniqueness, and I know it sounds a little bit airy fairy, but I do think that we all have a uniqueness about us. Well, I've got identical twin cousins, and even my identical twin cousins are different. I, I, I said on TV the other week, I said, you know, whenever say if you go like for a job and you you apply for something, they they'll ask you what is your unique selling point. Like, tell me what it is. You need to prove that you are better, more capable than the other candidates that you're up against. You know, we see this when you see advertisement, like this brand is better than that brand. That item of clothing stands out from that item of clothing. You know, like we live in a culture where we constantly are striving for better things. And it's like, but when it comes to ourselves, we shy away from being different. And I want to change that mentality, I think. I want to show that we all are different. We all, at one point or another in our lives, need extra help, extra support. Reasonable adjustments is not just for disabled people. When I was at the um, Happy Place Festival this Sunday, you know, I said, look, you know, people, if you go for the menopause, if you go for a divorce, if you lose your job, you know, things change. If you go for a pandemic, we all, we all change and we all need I really wanted people to embrace their uniqueness and not feel ashamed by it. Also, I wanted people to feel their emotions and, you know, I call them violin days. It's okay to kind of feel frustrated, feel upset and kind of really doubt yourself, you know, allow yourself to go through these emotions. But once you've allowed yourself a couple of days of that, then it's time to pick yourself back up. And I think... You know, when we talk about disability, we assume that you can't be happy and we must be miserable all day. Um, but that's not the truth. The truth is I'm a human being and I have all different kinds of days. So, yeah, I, I there's probably a lot of messages in my book that I can't even go into detail now. But I, I not to be turned off by the book because they think it's a book about disability, although it is a book about disability because I'm a disabled woman. But I also want them to understand that, you know, they'll be listening or reading or listening my to my lived experience but I also want them to 
find comfort in the fact that we are all humans and we all experience the same things, even if they are packaged up differently. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And I oh, thank really you for having your me. book becomes a bookseller, a best bookseller. Oh, thank you, my darling. I really appreciate it. And thank you all your support on, on social media as well. It's really appreciated. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're actually doing your book for our book club. Oh, amazing. I really hope people get to 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 enjoy it as much as we have. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, my darling. So nice to finally chat with you. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.